This is the KPMG Current Conversations podcast. In this episode, is staying ahead of the curve. Welcome to the KPMG Current Conversations podcast, brought to you by the KPMG Global Energy Institute. Current Conversations is a podcast series featuring in-depth conversations with the nation's top energy executives and luminaries to explore today's most pressing issues and emerging challenges affecting our industry. Energy efficiency doesn't have to be a daunting task. It starts with simple behavioral changes. Working alongside the residential and commercial customers in 48 U.S. states and Canada, Constellation makes the complex world of energy easier to understand and easier to meet sustainability goals. On May 14, 2020, Regina Mayer, KPMG Global and U.S. Head of Energy, connected with Jim McHugh, Chief Executive Officer of Constellation, Exelon Corporation's competitive retail and wholesale business. Thanks, Jim, for joining me today. Please just share with us an overview of your company, Constellation, and your role as its CEO. Sure, Regina, and first of all, thanks for having me today. I appreciate the opportunity. You know, Constellation is the leading competitive energy supplier of power and natural gas for homes and businesses really across the United States. Our customers include more than three-quarters of the Fortune 100. We have about 2,200 employees, and we operate in 48 states and Washington, D.C., and Canada, and we have operations in, in the U.K. also. You know, as a company, we really pride ourselves on our ability to work with our customers and solve their challenges in electricity and gas markets in both retail and wholesale. We operate in, in both markets. We are a subsidiary of Exelon, um, Exelon's competitive energy supply business, and we manage their commodity risk that's associated with their portfolio of 31,000 megawatts of generating assets. So this fleet of, of generating assets produces clean power, uh, mostly from nuclear and renewable generation, and we're responsible for managing the output of, of that fleet of generation. We also, we also really consider ourselves a solutions provider, you know, giving our customers the opportunity to make sound energy decisions and empowering them with lots of information. Our focus really, really lies in our ability to create value for our customers and, and positively impact what they want and the environment really by simplifying the complex world of energy. It's complex and we have a lot of expertise uh, and we can bring that to our customers and really create innovative clean energy products and services for them. Uh, we offer energy to supp energy supply, but we, we are also able to provide behind the meter solutions in our distributed energy business, focusing on renewables and energy efficiency. Um, what I would say most about Constellation is really we have the best team of employees. So much experience, so much knowledge in the industry. They really love what they do. Um, and, you know, my goal is always to make sure they're empowered to solve the energy problems faced by our customers. You know, as far as me, I've been the CEO of Constellation for about two years now, but I've been with the company uh, for a long time. I've been there since 2002. I've spent most of my career working in the wholesale energy markets in different roles, uh, roles from engineering and operations all the way through commodities and financial management. And really having all those different roles, being able to do different things in the industry for so many years, I think it was really an excellent uh, preparation for the job I have now. 
it gave me that breadth and depth of experience through, as you know, various market cycles over that time period and really gave me the opportunity to strengthen my understanding of how the operations work and how the financial details work in our markets, in our industry, and in our company. You know, and all that's really prepared me for a lot. But I do have to say that this public health crisis is like nothing I've really ever seen before. I think we've uh, responded pretty well to it, um, extremely well to it. But it's really not something that even 26 years worth of experience can really prepare you for. Clearly, it's an overused term, but these are definitely unprecedented times. Tell me more about how Constellation is dealing with the COVID-19 situation and what steps you're taking. Sure. You know, the, the spread of the coronavirus uh, is unlike anything we've seen before. We have taken, from my perspective, some unprecedented steps to really protect our employees, provide relief to our customers, and continue to serve our communities. You know, if I start with our customers, we've been very frequently and transparently communicating with them. We've given them lots of messages and lots of clear direction about how we're still able to operate with really good and robust contingency planning in, pro in place so that we can keep going and keep our business going during disruptive events, including extensive preparedness for a major public health crisis like this one. We've also emphasized to our customers that our employees are being safe and we plan to keep all of our customers safe. So we've been able to do a lot with them in, in terms of interaction. We've also been able to make some product changes and accommodations for customers, really in order to relieve the impact of the pandemic on us and them at the same time. We've done a lot on the employee side and I know that's kind of what you're asking about our employees. We've, re we've enacted our business continuity plans. Um, those, are in there, those are in place to keep our operations stable. You know, they're very robust. They contemplate many, many scenarios of how it impacts our abilities to do our work. So we know in advance exactly what we will do if conditions get worse or if they start to ease. You know, with our employees, we followed all U.S. travel restrictions, and we've gone even a step further and really have curtailed all uh, non-essential employee travel. We've enabled about 75 to 85% of our workforce to work remotely on any given day. We've been able to work with our IT team and really get there quickly. Even all of our customer care and our call center functions are being done remotely. Um, we do have some folks whose jobs require them to be at work sites and to be in the office or to be uh, at a customer site. You know, we have folks that work on a generation dispatch division that are in the office. We have a team in our distributed energy sites that are out there in control rooms and, and customer locations. And we have a BG home company, which is our home services arm. And that team of employees is still meeting with employees to, to do work uh, on, on home services when they need them. So when employees do have to come into the office, they're given the proper P, uh, PPE, all the equipment they need to do their jobs safely, uh, safely for them and safely for our customers. They're practicing all the required social distancing and hygiene um, protocols too that are, that are in place for everyone. One example with BG Home is we're also doing temperature screening before they even come into work every day. Uh, when they come into work, their temperature screen, they're asked a list of questions. When they go see customers, they do similar uh, questionnaires with our customers, and they're all provided the right amount of gloves, masks, hand, hand sanitizers, and wipes. So we're really doing a lot with our employees. One of my major things when we first got into this situation was to really 
talk uh, with the team frequently. We knew right away communications was going to be important to us. So we've been having direct contact with um, all employees and their immediate supervisors and leaders multiple times a week. We've also been holding weekly town halls uh, and all-hands meetings over conference, uh, telephone conference every week with me and my leadership team and special guest speakers. And this has gone a, a long way to keeping our employees informed along the way here. Uh, we even did, <laughs> it was kind of funny, we did a, a leader video that, was got, that uh, went out to all employees to thank them for all the hard work they've been doing. And we wanted to make sure we protected everybody, so we had all of our leaders film this on their own uh, with uh, in home or in a remote location and we really had some hilarious results as instead of a videographer taking care of business everybody did their own thing to get their cameras rolling uh, from within their home you know I for one had my children video me so I think it was probably made more for snapshot or Instagram but uh, it really worked out well our employees appreciate it that we that we did our best and we were staying remote just as we've asked a lot of them to do. Um, but as far as our employees, it's mainly been listening to what's on their minds, what are their concerns, what are they worried about, and providing answers or forms for them to get to get the, the things they need. We've extended benefits to our employees during this time. We've ensured the appropriate assistance programs are in place for them, and we're just tracking absenteeism really to inform how we would move from one part of the contingency planning to another part of the contingency planning. When we do have a positive test, and we've had a handful, uh, we'll, we take all the appropriate tracing and quarantining steps. Um, but I think really the fact that we move so swiftly and decisively to put our plans in place and put our employees' health and customer safeties first has enabled us to really keep the numbers of um, positive uh, virus cases in our workforce really to a minimal level. So I'm pretty proud of what our team's been able to accomplish. And I did want to just cover also as important as our customers and employee safety has been to us, we've also really been concerned about the well-being of our communities, the communities where we live and work. It's really paramount, uh, paramount to us. Since the start of the pandemic, we've contributed to the United Way 211 support services. We've done that both in Maryland, where we're headquartered, but also nationwide. We've donated to Feeding America, which is an organization that is the largest hunger relief uh, organization in the country with an expansive uh, network of food banks. We've also had partnership um, with some of our Exelon family uh, uh, companies uh, within the Exelon family where we've made commitments of more than $1 million to relief organizations and small businesses in our jurisdictions. And that's really just part of an overall $5 million in donations by the Exelon Corporation and its family of companies nationwide to support communities impacted by the spread of the coronavirus. So it's been interesting. We've done a lot with our communities, but I mentioned earlier how proud I am of our employees. One of the things they've done um, is they've driven innov innovative ways to still volunteer time. They're doing it virtually, but they're finding ways that they can donate their own time in our communities. Uh, last year at Constellation, we had 80% of our employees volunteer time in our communities. And who would have who thought that 
that momentum is not slowing down at all um, in the midst of this coronavirus. Their momentum is still going. So it's ingrained, I think it's ingrained in who we are at Constellation, and it's really essential now to stand behind our commitment to the communities where we live and work because it's needed uh, now more than ever. That's terrific. Thanks for that um, that description. You guys are obviously doing quite a lot, and my observation, too, is that the only way we're going to get through this is, frankly, the businesses are going to lead from the front. It's corporate America and the employees that power corporate America that are going to make it happen. You will have to watch out, though, Jim. Mm -hmm. I do think you might be featured in a TikTok video coming up. <laughs> all right. You know, the, my kids know how to set all that up, so there's a good chance they already did that to me. <laughs> exactly. You're on TikTok. Let's talk more about the customer engagement. I, I know you're obviously it's table stakes for the utilities, right? No shutoffs, uh, no collections. A lot of utilities are stepping up to that. But it sounds like you said you're even offering different products and potentially engaging with your companies, your, your customers differently on a digital basis. Share more about the customer part of the Constellation response. Yeah, sure. It's um, It's been very uh, dynamic, but so far, you know, it's been, to my, um, to my experience, it's been remarkably well handled by our customers. Um, I think there's a lot of things that are still fluid. How different industries and companies are going to continue to be impacted is, is still somewhat to be seen. That's both in the near and long term. The duration of the continued spread of the infections is a variable. Also, the rate at which the states are starting to initiate uh, reopening activities you know, and also any further regulatory or fiscal stimulus is also going to impact all of our customers. But what's been interesting to me is that um, we've been able to give them different product choices and different accommodations to the extent that they need to adapt the current product they're buying from us or, for example, payment plans and, and deferred payment. We've done some of that. We, But to your point, we really did invest in technological upgrades uh, over the years. We have various digital capabilities. With our residential customers, for example, they're able to access and manage their accounts from anywhere, anytime. Our CNI customers also have a lot of online tools, account management tools with user-friendly dashboards and information that allows them to access their invoices and easily pay bills online and, and do digital, uh, have digital interaction with us. Uh, really what's been going on um, looking forward, we've been really investing in leading edge innovations and, and technologies, utilizing data analytics to inform our customers about their energy usage, um, using machine learning to provide them insights, and we're leveraging partnerships with other companies to give some of these different solutions. We've been aggressively pursuing uh, the commercialization of some of those newer technologies and products with our customers. They're not all uh, ready for prime time yet, but we've been slowly making really good progress on them. Um, you know, I, I think that forward thinking and innovative mentality that we were um, utilizing ahead of the COVID-19 pandemic really put us ahead of the game uh, when it came short, when it came time to making sure that our customers' experience is as seamless as possible with uh, easy access to lots of information. Well, I think the CEO of Microsoft has been quoted as saying that he's seen two years' worth of digital innovation take place within the last two months. 
And my own observation yep. is the companies that were already investing on those digital transformations are leaps and bounds, you know, ahead of the curve. And sounds like you all were headed down that path and you're reaping the benefits. Let's let's pivot and talk about demand and load. We're all working from home. I in my home, multiple, multiple, multiple devices are going at once. I got college age kids right. and fifth grader and my own, you know, activities. What are you seeing relative to load and demand in this landscape? And then if I could even ask a, a, a follow-up to that, now that you, states are reopening, and I think I heard you say you operate in 48 states. Did I get that right? Yes. Yes. Okay. Are you seeing anything new now that states are, are reopening? Sure. Yeah, I think it's interesting. You're, you're, you're right on about what we're all, a lot of folks are doing differently from their home. Um, similarly, I think uh, between college-age kids all the way down to fourth and fifth graders, we have many, many devices going ourselves here in, in our household. Um, and for sure, what we've seen is that the response to working remotely, sheltering in place, the shutting down of schools and non-essential businesses and activities has had a really significant impact on energy consumption, um, really in the country and around the world for that matter. Uh, in the power and natural gas markets that we operate in, the demand for energy has been significantly impacted. You know, being one of the nation's largest competitive energy providers, especially in the commercial and industrial sector, we really have line of sight to uh, the data and, and how, how the impacts are being felt by the industries. Uh, we serve between our retail and wholesale portfolios about 210 terawatt hours of load on an annual basis. So understanding what this means is obviously very important to us. We've spent a lot of time over the last several weeks looking a lot of, at a lot of different data sources to understand the magnitude of the lower demand. We've looked at regional demand reports from the different independent system operators here in the U.S. We've looked at a lot of research and analysis regarding the impacts that have been seen in Europe. We've asked our customers directly to give us feedback about changes they expect in their energy usage. And really now that we're several weeks into this, we're able to also see the settlement data and how the uh, demand is, is actually realizing compared to what we would call normal um, demand. So in general, the trends have been an increase in residential usage due to these stay-at-home mandates and a pretty significant decrease in commercial and industrial usage given the curtailments in the business activities. When we look at our portfolio, uh, we look at our commercial commercial and industrial load or demand is down 10 to 15% versus what we would expect uh, otherwise when you account for weather normalization. You know, we've seen bigger impacts in areas such as New York and New York City, maybe smaller impacts in some areas such as Texas. And we saw these demand impacts really start in late March and they appear to get more pronounced as um, April and late April um, you know, came by. Uh, they seem to be stabilizing now as most protocol I think has been in place for several weeks. But we've been doing a lot as you can imagine to really understand the impact of this on our business. Um, so it's definitely had a significant impact. To your point around some of the state level changes that are being made, we would expect there to be um, a, a, the start of a return of some of this load and demand um, destruction that we've seen. I do think this is temporary. Um, this is really COVID 
related. There will be some long-term changes to the patterns of energy usage that we'll have to um, really understand and work out. But these large 10 to 15% increases, we would expect for now that they would last for the front couple few months here. And then by later into the fall and into the balance of this year, you would start seeing some return towards normal and maybe taken through the middle of next year to really get all the way back to, to what might be considered normal. Um, but that's, that's the data that we've seen so far, but we're also cognizant of the fact that this could be really fluid and we're able to get the data at such a granularity that think, we think we're going to have good ability to see the insights to the trends changing really industry by industry and sector by sector. Yeah, those are important signals to be watching. So residential demand is up, CNI is down. What are the challenges associated with managing the grid in that type of an environment? Yeah, I think the grid has, has been um, resilient. Um, the lighter loads that we see, there's been a strong supply of generation. So it certainly has led to low prices across most of the regions. But we already, as an industry, in most of the regions that we operate in have been in a heavier supply demand situation, you know, meaning the supply has been strong in, in power and natural gas. So the low prices, I think, aren't anything new. So the grid's been resilient. Our generation dispatch team, for example, is, wor is working mostly on site. And they've been able to operate differently during this pandemic and change the, change the way in which they operate to be either partly remote or at least in different parts of the building. And they've been able to still manage our generation fleet and what it's doing on the grid um, in a stable manner and with regards to all the different compliance standards uh, that were measured by. So the, the, the grid has been managed well from my perspective. That's great to hear because there would be a, a crisis in my home if the Wi-Fi went out. Let me take you back <laughs> to your roots, Tim. <laughs> yeah. You're a, you started in energy trading, and I sit here in Houston, Texas. It's mid-May when we're having this conversation. I know power and gas is not crude from a commodity perspective, but we saw extreme volatility in wet WTI you know, on April 20th and 21st with a historic uh, empirical drop and a historic rise the very next day. As a former mm -hmm. trading trader yourself and trading exec, what were your thoughts when you were watching the markets in April? Besides, thank goodness I'm not a crude trader anymore. <laughs> <laughs> right. Thank goodness. Or, or that I, I never was. was on right <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. If you, yeah. It is a long experience. It's, it's kind of a nice way to put it. Um, my, my kids often tell me, you know, my kids all born after the year 2000 like to call it you were you were working back in the 19s, as they like to call it, <laughs> and uh, that vo <laughs> that volatility we saw that those days in oil, I think, reminded me of some of the volatility from back in the 19s. Um, you know, it was interesting on those two days or a few days in in crude oil. We saw that May the May contract had closed on maybe Friday before the weekend around $18 and change. Uh, it opened Sunday night about $7 down and then moved consistently lower all day Monday. Uh, and, you know, it settled at a negative $37.63 that day. And that was shocking to say the least. Um, 
you know, Tuesday it bounced back and trading prices moved higher and eventually climbed all the way up to $10. But those drops and rebounds, from my perspective, I, they were record setting. You know, when you think about the absolute dollar amount and the percentages, um, these were moves that we hadn't seen. It did remind me of some of that major price volatility we saw um, in power trading back in the late 1990s. Uh, there was a lot of volatility in power where contracts would really swing tens and twenties of dollars at a time, you know, so that day I think everybody had their moments where they were trying to get their work done, but it was pretty distracting because you had to watch this price action unfold on, on your screens. Uh, there were some connections, I would say, to the markets that we operate in. If you think about natural gas, we've seen prompt natural gas, um, albeit um, not a super expensive product right now. It definitely has been volatile in the spot markets. You've seen some lower production. Uh, we saw some cool spring weather, of course. Um, the risk of loss of exports based on what's happening with world LNG prices. It's all added uncertainty into the market, and we've seen some volatile kind of front month and spot conditions in natural gas. But also on the forward curve, I think we've actually seen gas move higher, and part of that I think is explained by the oil activity. When you have those lower oil prices and the discussion and now reality of some production cuts, uh, you're just going to get less associated natural gas production. Uh, and that, combined with um, the previous storage surplus that was there in natural gas, you know, being expected to ease over time here, I think we've seen higher prices move in the winter uh, at the end of this year and into 2021 20, prices for natural gas. There's a little bit of impact on power prices to the extent there's some support in natural gas, then there would be a little bit of support in power prices too, uh, but it's not a big impact on power prices. So overall, I, I think the markets weren't entirely insulated from that move, but they also were not profoundly impacted like power and gas versus the oil markets. Right. Well, and it's good to take us back to the 19s and remember some of that volatility that we've seen in the past. Let's shift <laughs> back to try to figure out coming out of COVID-19, what the world is going to look like. And you're a CEO and have the opportunity to interact with lots of energy executives in the C-suite. What are you hearing about the lasting impacts from an industry perspective and how the industry is going to evolve? What, what's the talk in the C-suite? Yeah, it is. I mean, this pandemic has, I think, a dramatic impact on everyone and for sure the energy industry isn't an exception. Uh, we've talked a little bit about some of the changes in the prices we've seen in oil and heating oil and gasoline. Um, that's shifted some of the production and supply stack. The shifting of lower supply natural gas and, and, and lower demand for power. Some of that stuff is maybe more short term. Um, the economy uh, in general has obviously been impacted, the, the GDP being down in Q1 before this and certainly going to be dramatically lower in Q2 and the, uh, the growth in unemployment um, over the last six weeks has been, has been astounding. So I think with those kinds of facts and those kinds of changes, it, it leads to what are the longer term impacts to your point. And, you know, when you think about what executives and leaders are facing right now, they're certainly feeling the pinch. I think, I think the conversations are varying. I think some companies are talking about um, 
cutting capital or, or, or spending and potentially cutting up dividends if, if their balance sheet isn't quite as strong. Uh, some folks may be uh, attempting to sell some non-core assets. All of these different things that people are facing, I think, vary by uh, geographic and, and financial conditions that each one of them are facing. You know, and, and some companies have and will still have to declare bankruptcy. So these have long-lasting impacts on all of our industries and all of our customers, for example, uh, are, are feeling the pain in different ways. Um, it is saddening from my perspective to when you see people have to lose jobs. We've heard of that. We've heard some companies being forced to let people go and, and, and the loss of jobs. Thankfully, we're not in that position at, at Constellation. We're doing everything we can uh, to make sure we don't get there. We've done a lot of good planning from a balance sheet perspective and, and cash flow perspective. So our customers and communities employees continue to be our highest priority. And, uh, you know, we're trying to keep as much of that insulated from the long-term impacts as we can. It is, it is sad to watch some of the tough decisions that have to be made that are going to have these long-lasting impacts. And my heart, my heart certainly does go out to uh, all the folks that are in, affected by the economic fallout from the extended quarantine. Yes. No, it's, there's lots to be worried and sad about on a number of fronts. Um, mm -hmm. But let's, let, let me just shift gears and, and talk a little bit more about some of the components of energy. Given what we just talked about with commodity prices um, and sort of historic fossil fuel lows, although your point about a, a, a bit of prompt propping up of the gas prices was well taken too, do you think people will continue to invest in renewable generation? What is that outlook from your perspective? Yeah, you know, I think they will. Um, it feels like a new normal to us here, as as we've said a couple times. Um, but you know, I continue to think that efficiency and renewable generation adoption really are driven by two things. First is the relative economics of behind the meter projects and other renewable energy sources, and the reducing costs um, continue. And I think that trend has been there for a while. The cost versus delivered energy rates, which in some parts of the U.S. are still uh, pretty high, I think um, that trend doesn't change necessarily. Secondly, the customer's environmental sensitivities. Um, they want this. Uh, I think our customers are certainly asking for access to both efficiency as well as renewable sources. And the customers want it because it's tied to the demand of their patrons and their stakeholders. So I really don't see in the long run that the COVID world would uh, appear to be changing that. There certainly has been short term, from my perspective, some retreat from some customers who are back to currently focusing on their core business functions or have uh, budget constraints or budget concerns right now. Um, so maybe long-term, you know, physical asset PPAs and renewable generation uh, purchases aren't on the top of their priority list right now. Um, we've seen a slowdown in some of the sales, uh, new sales origination from the current state we're in. Uh, but this is, from my perspective, likely just having a short-term impact, and uh, we would return to more normal when the COVID virus impacts begin to soften. I think that the challenges we're seeing are more directly related to quarantine-related barriers from 
customers, buyers, and, and sellers connecting with each other. Uh, but we haven't seen a lack of interest in the products on the customer's part. And I think their commitment to adoption of efficiency and renewable supply will remain strong. Do you see customers being willing to pay for it? Or, or are you saying it's pretty cost neutral at this point, renewable energy versus non-renewable? It's getting there. I, you know, I do think the customers have been willing to pay for it. I do think when the short-term um, uh, maybe squeeze on things they're feeling or the pinch they're feeling eases up, uh, they'll go back to that being high priority. And it's not, um, in a lot of cases, it is economic for them to do, and I, I would expect that to continue. Excellent. The flip side of that is consuming less and energy efficiency. What's Constellation doing to work with customers on that front? Yeah, that's that's a good one for us too. I mean, you know, the way we think about it is that customers really enter into energy efficiency projects for different strategic or business reasons, but they really ultimately all end up reaping the same benefits. You know, some may want to improve their infrastructure. Some may want to recognize economic savings, and some just want to achieve environmental goals. Uh, but the, the the beauty of that is that they, you know, whatever they're driven by, they're all getting the same benefits. You know, we're able to promote energy efficiency in a variety of ways with our customers. We educate them on rebates and incentives. Uh, we provide insight to them regarding emerging technology, and we really help them understand their energy profiles so that they can identify for themselves or we can help them identify opportunities for optimization. When we look at our CNI customers, you know, we educate them on the technologies um, of uh, to optimize their energy footprint, but really also inform them on how to procure the energy itself. So that allows us to really be there from an end-to-end -end and holistic uh, solution for their facilities. Um, from my perspective, you know, energy efficiency doesn't have to be a daunting task, really. It starts with simple, simple behavioral changes. It starts with encouraging a culture of, of conservation. Um, you know, our customers, as I said, have employees and patrons and stakeholders themselves that, that want to work for and do business with companies that have sustainability goals. So our approach to energy efficiency really has to span this whole landscape. We've, we've leveraged proven commercial, commercially available products in our projects with them. We've invested in emerging technology companies to understand uh, what's coming next. And we also collaborate with universities and labs to identify what's coming next. You know, one cool example is, you know, some of the things we do with our customer sites is we deploy sensors and technology while we're working through our energy efficiency projects. That, that allows us to really to collect actionable data, but also um, improve visibility in energy audits and, and get the information we need. And that translates into deeper retrofits for the customer, but it also gives an ongoing mechanism to really track and monitor savings opportunities with this technology and sensor um, activity that we're able to uh, deploy in the customer sites. So really our, our path, the way we look at this uh, is to promote energy efficiency the best way to do it is really to work alongside our customers, take a deeper dive into how and when and why they use energy, and then we can really get them, um, you know, to capitalize on the on opportunities to reduce their energy consumption and free up operating costs and enhance their facilities. So, you know, I think it's not just a technical solution, but working with them to integrate the financial, sustainable, and strategic things that they need to meet their goals. 
it's a great summary and it ties us back to where we started about Constellation's goal being to make the complex world of energy simple and easy to consume on behalf of your customers. It's a terrific yeah. way to close. Thanks, Jim, for your time and for such a wide-ranging conversation. What final words of wisdom or positivity would you like to leave for our energy industry listeners before we close? Oh, well, wisdom, I, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm going to make sure my kids <laughs> you got listen it. to this, got to this interview. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think what I would do with that question is really want to express just how inspired I am by by our industry, the work that everyone in the industry is doing to really confront the COVID-19 pandemic just head on. You know, it, it seems clear to me that, you know, I know we hear it often, but the, we're in this together. I think the energy industry is in this together. I think I see so much commitment to supporting communities and customers and keeping all of our employees in the industry safe. You know, if you think about it, every day our job in this industry is to supply power, natural gas, other energy supply sources and services really to all the millions and millions of homes and businesses and critical infrastructure. So, so when you step back and think about that, you know, it's pretty awe-inspiring. Um, and there's really so many people out there directly on the front lines, and it, it, we can't overstate our appreciation for that, you know, the amount of doctors, nurses, medical staff, the first responders, the energy industry folks we just talked about, the critical supply chain employees, transportation and grocery stores and volunteers and people innovating around, you know, PPE and equipment needs. Um, it's just, it's all inspiring and impressive. And, and if I were to leave uh, with one thing, I think I would just want to thank everyone who's working on this crisis in one way or the other uh, for powering through it together. And, and really, I wish everybody the best to stay safe and stay strong and stay healthy. We're absolutely an essential business. And thank you to your team, your company for supporting everybody and literally keeping the lights on. I appreciate your time, Jim. Uh, thank Great. you again. Thanks so much for having me, Regina. All right. Thank you for listening to our podcast episode on staying ahead of the curve. A transcript of this episode is now available on KPMG Global Energy Institute at www.kpmgglobalenergyinstitute.com. Be sure to subscribe to the KPMG Current Conversations podcast to be notified of new episodes.